Hello, and welcome to Skincare Confidential, a podcast dedicated to the insider information in the skincare industry. It is also meant to support the Science of Skincare Summit, an annual educational summit being held this year, 2023, September 21st through the 23rd in beautiful Austin, Texas. My name is Dr. Ted Lane. I am a board certified dermatologist. I'm a co-founder of the Science of Skincare Summit, and I'm also your co-host today. But more importantly, today we have an amazing guest, someone for all you skincare nerds out there, especially for those of you who are in the dermatologic field, you will know Dr. David Osborne's name. Dr. Osborne is a master formulator. Uh, and we're going to talk about a couple of the medications that he has formulated, which uh, are, are really unbelievable, including one called Zareve that we have now for psoriasis. Dr. Osborne was educated at the University of Missouri in Rolla, Missouri. He's got a PhD from that program, as well as an honorary professional degree in chemistry. Um, he received his Bachelor of Science in chemistry from Southwest Missouri State. He is currently the chief technical officer for Arcutus since 2017. And before that, he has been involved in many other uh, formulating roles with different companies. He also has his own consulting form consulting company, David W. Osborne, PhD Consulting. So for anybody out there who needs some help with your formulations, reach out to Dr. Osborne. David, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Ted. I really appreciate the invite and the looking forward to the next half hour or so. Great. Well, this is definitely a, a, a kind of a, a different path for us in this podcast because now we really are focused on using medical uh, topical formulations as both treatments as well as skin care. And I think once we get through what David has used to formulate, you'll understand why. So, so David, just, just give us some background. Why did you get into this field? What about formulating topical medications was appealing to you? Yeah. So it, it really started when I, I began my PhD program at the University of Missouri Rollin at uh, I, I happened to have a graduate advisor who, at that time, in 1982, uh, had won a number of awards for cosmetic chemistry. Uh, he had, in the late 70s, he discovered what stabilized emulsions, and these were cosmetic emulsions, and uh, he was well-renowned throughout the world for that. So when I signed on, uh, my dissertation was how a skin softener interacts with the lipids in the stratum corneum. Got it. And from, I mean, I guess the rest is history because honestly, without Dr. Osborne, I don't know that we would have topical Dapsone, for example. Yeah, pro probably not. And, uh, you know, the doctor stuff, you know, we, we can do away with the Dr. Osborne. So okay, please, we'll just, just say David, David from now on. Gotcha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's start with with that, okay? Because I think that the topical Dapsone, which was Axone back in the day, and now it's uh, generic, of course, but that was pretty revolutionary. Nobody else could really figure out how to put Dapsone into a topical formulation. But you decided to use kind of a novel uh, penetration enhancer called Transcutal. Can you go through that with us? Absolutely. So. 
you know, it's interesting. So Transcutol as a solvent for personal care products uh, was used a lot in the 80s and early 90s as uh, in the sunless tan products, you know. So the tan in a bottle, a lot of those were about 40% transcutol because it was a solvent that prevented streaking, uh, you know, in the early days, uh, you know, I never remember uh, DHA, the dihydroxyacetone, you know, it it would just streak and then you'd have Mm -hmm. (laughs) these striations in the color as the, you know, the active bonded to the stratum corneum, and they fixed that with transcutol. So really early when I was first at Viratex down in the Woodlands, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just a little south of you, uh, you know, away from the Yankees up here, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the sales rep from Gaffose brought me a sample of transcutol. And I formulated an over-the-counter cold sore product, a gel, Viractin gel, with transcutol. Wow. So then when it came time, you know, if, 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 a, if a person can, you know, put 40% transcutol covering their entire legs and arms and torso, I figured I could treat a cold sore with mm-hmm. it safely, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we launched that product. It was really, you know, over-the-counter. Tetracaine was the active, you know, nothing extraordinary except that it used uh, a novel solvent. So when it came time to try to formulate Dapsone, uh, it was on the shelf and it turned out to be an amazing solvent for Dapsone. That was the key. Because prior to that, right, Dapsone, we just didn't have the ability to to really have a solvent for Dapsone. We couldn't dissolve it in anything to make it a topical. That's right. That worked well. Yeah. And, and, you know, Dapzone is fascinating. You know, it's like a magic trick. It's like a, uh, you know, a party trick for, you know, a kid's birthday party or something. You can have like a scintillation vial full of the powdered drug Dapzone and you add 10 drops of transcutol, it all melts away. Amazing. Yeah. And, and Dapsone kind of lends itself to acne. Honestly, it's antimicrobial uh, as well as anti-inflammatory. But but there's something special with with transcutol as well, David. I think I was reading in an article published a long time ago that it almost acts as to form a reservoir effect in the stratum corneum, and it limits systemic exposure as well. Uh, it, it does. And, and transcutol, uh, when you... Uh, because I wrote this review article when I retired from Tolmar, um, although I was working on reflumolas kind of concurrent with retirement, uh, but a luxury, I, you know, a gift I gave myself was I, I reviewed all the transcutal literature because there was this, this I don't know, uh, you know, schizophrenia, if you will, Mm -hmm. in the literature, because on one hand, you'd say, oh, you know, transcutal enhanced delivery 200 fold. And then the next paper would say, oh, it it forms this depot in the stratum corneum. And so, uh, you know, uh, the drug was, you know, uh, 
sustained release, topical sustained release technology. And it never, in my hands, it was great solvent. It was really good at being able to deliver drugs that couldn't be dissolved in other formulations. Uh, But I never saw it as this major enhancer. I never really saw it just, you know, pound stuff through the stratum corneum like DMSO does, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we understand DMSO. uh, And so in that review article, it really depends on other things in the formulation because you're not going to get a tremendous amount of penetration enhancement unless you have other things like you know, uh, propylene glycol. Well, I mean, so it's interesting you say propylene glycol, right? Because we have seen formulations with very high percentages of propylene glycol to enhance penetration. Now, the downside of that is is irritation. That's right. And some people are allergic or they have some sort of special sensitivity mm-hmm. uh, to propylene glycol, and it just lights them up. I'm one of those people, by the way. So uh-huh. I don't tend to formulate, you know, I did a lot of work with Rogaine back in the 80s, um, mm-hmm. my first job. Uh, so I exposed myself to a lot of propylene glycol. You know, somewhere in the mid-90s, um, I just couldn't use products that contain propylene glycol. And so, you know, if you're a formulator and you're trying the 20 prototype formulations all day long, uh, if I had used propylene glycol for Zarif, for example, uh, you know, back of my hands would have been raw within right. you know, okay. two days of development. So I don't use propylene glycol personally, so I don't formulate with it just because I can't tolerate it. But it, it has been used at higher concentrations in order to penetra- to enhance penetration. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, and I believe there's a, I believe, I think you were involved in this, the um, formulation of a novel uh, clobetazole topical with uh, with transcutal instead of propylene glycol. Am I right about that? Yeah, uh, Clobex spray. Uh, mm-hmm. I did not formulate Clobex spray, but I was at uh, Dow Pharmaceutical Sciences uh, when that product was under development. So I, I wrote most of the CMC sections, defended it with the FDA, and, and yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, worked a lot with Clobex. Oh, man. And, and when Clo- I remember when Clovex came out, it really changed the way we treated psoriasis because it was one of those sprays. You're supposed to still rub it in a little bit, but it really was such a great product. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's funny how the industry goes, right? You formulate, you formulate, you formulate, you get these new formulations of these older compounds and they work better. And then, and then now we're trying to move away from steroids altogether, aren't we? Uh, we are because we have safer alternatives and right. you know both Zareev and Vitama are great non-steroidals I mean I, I don't know how you've found it in your practice but um, you know they're doing a lot of good for a lot of people yeah so so what doc what uh, sorry I almost said doctor again what David is referring to is so he, he helped to formulate reflumolast which is a PDE4 inhibitor phosphodiesterase 4 inhibitor uh, which is an intracellular uh, enzyme responsible for I- inflammation, essentially. Um, and by inhibiting it, we can, it's shown to help reduce the, uh, the severity of psoriasis and also in uh, starting to show it in eczema as well. Um, 
And so riflumilast is a PDE4 inhibitor. Right now, we are in dermatology, we're very familiar with PDE4 inhibitors, with both with apremilast and with uh, crisoborol. Uh, so uh, apremilast being the essentially the systemic agent, PDE4, and crisoborol being the topical. And now we have the new PDE4 inhibitor, inhibitor which is riflumilast. And that, although it contains transcutal, there's, there's another chemical, uh, there's another compound in there that, that is kind of revolutionary in, in terms of how it's being used in, in medicine, right, right, David? Yeah, the, the emulsifier is a, uh, emulsifying wax blend uh, with the trade name Crotophos CES. Uh, now, Crotophos CES has been around, it was launched by Crota in the 90s. Uh, for and it's used extensively in in the the you know um, physical blocker sunscreens, the titanium mm. dioxide and those sorts of sunscreens. Why why, why in those? Why why was it used there? Uh, it makes a wonderfully stable emulsion. If you, okay. if, if you have a cream in a tube that you have with you on the beach and it gets heated up to you know, 110 degrees, or you leave it in the car, you don't want it phase separated. And protophos, uh, you know, you could emulsify sand in protophos <laughs> and, and keep it physically stable. I mean, well, I've had just... that as part of my uh, sunscreen as well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, and, and, and the other unique thing about protophos and this was known before we started formulating with it was um it dominates the other ingredients as far as aesthetic feel so uh -huh. if you put mineral oil in protophos or you put petrolatum in protophos or you put a silicon oil in protophos uh, the feel tends to be exactly the same okay you know so so you don't have to to modify the ingredients to get an aesthetically pleasing product with protophos. So, so it's been around since the 1990s, but not really used in, in medical uh, formulations. That's correct. And so what made you decide, okay, this is the right, this is the right emulsifier to use for riflumilast? Basically, it was the only emulsifier we could get a nice, cosmetically elegant physically stable emulsion okay. um, with the 25% transcutal that we have in our cream product and our okay. foam product for that matter. But, uh, you know, we, we formulate at the same concentration of transcutal as we did in the Axone gel. Okay. Right. Uh, because I knew that that was well tolerated mm -hmm. and I knew it was well behaved. And so, uh, you know, I just stuck with an old friend when that came to formulating Zareeb. Uh, but that much transcutal, it's really hard to get a good stable emulsion because it uh, tends to want to make a micro emulsion. It wants to dissolve the interface. It wants to, you know, make a micro emulsion. And so um, Protophos was really the only emulsifier uh, robust enough to, to give us a good stable cream okay uh, and we tried we tried the other ones that were on the inactive ingredient database you know keep in mind haven't been a lot of new emulsifiers introduced into prescription products in 
many years. Right, so, which which is why this is such a big deal. Now, quick question: what's a what's a micro emulsion? Uh, a micro emulsion is uh, they look more like a gel because okay. they're not white. Okay, the, okay. The, the globule size is too small to reflect light. Gotcha. And so they, they have a much different appearance. Uh, now people like to call them nano emulsions. Uh, oh. And it's all part of that nanotech, yeah. um, you know, craze, if you will. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. Okay. So it's really interesting, David. You, you have essentially taken two ingredients that were really well known in the cosmetic space and applied them to the medical space now with transcutal and crotoplast. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, it's kind of unusual because I only know one other person who's ever gotten a cosmetic ingredient onto the IID. Uh, and I'm blanking on his name, but he worked at Galderma. Okay. And uh, when Epiduo Forte was approved, uh, the sepineals, which is a new gelling agent, uh -huh. uh, pH independent gelling agent, much easier to use than carbapol, uh, was introduced into the, the IID. And so, um, but those are the only three new drugs or three new excipients that have, you know, occurred to my knowledge in the topical space in the last 40 years. Now, I know reflumolast is, has been formulated into a foam, right? As, and we've used that in, in seborrheic dermatitis trials, for example. Um, did, did you, was crotophos used in the foam formulation or was transcutal used in the foam formulation as well? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I love telling the story because, you know, if you're developing a foam, first thing you do is you take the cream, you put it in a can, you crimp on the valve and you add some propellant, you shake it up and then you're prepared for disappointment because it never works. Okay. Right. With Zareev, we did that and it worked. Okay. Wow. Now, now we got some sputtering. Okay. Uh -huh. So that meant that the, that what we call the foam concentrate was too thick. But as soon as we thinned the product down and, and you know, for scalp, you don't need, a lot of petrolatum. So we reduce the amount of petrolatum and isopropyl palmitate, the moisturizers in the cream mm -hmm. formulation. And that allowed us to reduce the amount of crotophos, mm -hmm. right? Because you don't need as much emulsifier if you're not emulsifying as much oil, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, and th that's the problem. So it's just oh add God. propellant. No Gosh. additional excipients. Uh, just a reduction in the amount of three of the excipients. And again, no need for propylene glycol again. No, no ethanol, no propylene glycol. Uh, you, you know, my first experience with an alcoholic foam was back in the 90s. Um, did a, a surgical hand scrub that contained chlorhexidine as yeah. the active. And, um, you know, but those alcoholic foams uh, are really well known. You know, that, that was the... Um, you know the uh, you know the foam products but but they're, they tend to be drying and yeah, they can be yep. and you know and then it, the next evolution was to remove the alcohol from from the foams and have these moisturizing foams that um, you know have recently been introduced with minocycline yeah. um, and, and 
But our, our foam is, you know, completely different system because no one else has ever used Crotofloss in a uh, NDA foam. Got it. So just to give us some insight, David, I'm just thinking about Transcutal and Crotofloss. Now, th those were not developed by, by you or, or, you know, at Dow, for example, or at uh, Arcutus. Th those are actually produced by a third-party company that kind of brings them to the market. What, what are those companies called and, and how do you think of them in terms of their place in the industry? Well, there, there are suppliers, uh, are the excipient suppliers, but when you think of Crota, uh, they make lots, you know, they have hundreds of cosmetic items. Crota mm -hmm. is right? really big. Uh, Gaffese is a very old, you know, they've been in existence over 100 years. Uh, they originally were doing plant extracts for the French perfume industry. So okay. they, they grow fields of lavender and pick Ooh. all the flowers and extract the essential oils and sell them to perfumers. Uh, so, you know, these, these are well-established companies that provide uh, solvents and excipients to, to pharma. And so they have they have their own formulation scientists and chemists who are developing these novel emulsifiers and solvents for the industry. Uh, yes, although you know I don't know how many new emulsifiers are being worked on now. Uh, okay, because when you you know look at the cosmetic industry, you, you know you're not really confined for what you put in a cosmetic. And you're not really confined, at least up until a couple of years ago, I'm not totally familiar with the most recent laws for over-the-counter products, uh -huh. but you're not confined in, in what you put in there. It's, it's really only your personal liability and corporate liability. So people are very conservative, right? Um, but that's not an FDA requirement. It's just, they don't want to get sued uh you know in the old days when you do an otc product all you'd have to do is is file what the active was and that you conform to the monograph and you weren't going to say anything outside the monograph wow you know that was you didn't even have to put the components mm -hmm. right and the only other piece of information you had to put was who the attorneys would contact if you were a lawsuit was brought against you, who at the company was responsible to pay if you damaged someone. Wow. So, you know, and, and when we're talking about monographs, we're talking about FDA monographed ingredients. Those are those ingredients that have been approved by the FDA to be used in over-the-counter products that, that do have active, um, abilities to change structure function of the skin. Um, so for example, if we're talking about acne, we're thinking about salicylic acid or benzoyl peroxide, um, uh, resorcinol, sulfur, the, the, the compounds that you commonly see in the over-the-counter acne space are these FDA monographed ingredients. Um, and that's what we're talking about when we talk about monographs, right, David? That's correct. Okay. All right. Yep. Great. So I just wanted to kind of, we're running a little bit short on time as we always do with these. Um, it's unfortunate. 
But, you know, when we think about Zareeb, and, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but it's, in, it's striking to me how we have such great non-steroidal pro, uh, topicals like Zareeb, um, like Vitama, you know, these non-steroidals, but the, the dermatologic kind of industry really hasn't adopted them to the point where I think they should have. You know, I, I, I see these as replacing steroids. I, I don't think these are the step downs from using a steroid initially to quell the fire and then keeping things under control with these. I, I really would like to see these being used first line, as I'm sure would the companies. Any insight as to why why that prescribing behavior hasn't changed or 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 what we need to know that maybe that that education just isn't being delivered or, or just not being heard, maybe? Well, first of all, I absolutely agree with you. I, I think the the split, you know, was like ninety percent steroids, ten percent non-steroidals. Right. And that should be reversed. Now yeah, the, absolutely. you know, there will be the occasional patient. Uh, where their psoriasis or their inflammatory skin condition is, you know, on a safe spot and you really need the fire extinguisher. You really need to, you know, because it, for whatever reason, you know, as a clinician, as a physician, you're going to know which patients need Clovex spray, for instance, right? Yeah. Uh, but that should be the minority of patients. Uh, So, you know, I think that there are, in all fields, there are early adopters mm -hmm. and there are people that will just wait and see, Yeah. right? And, you know, these non-steroidals, these really excellent products, and it's still been less than a year. Right. That's true. That's true. We could still think about it as an early adoptive phase to some of these products. Yeah. I mean, I think what's important for people to realize is that, you know, look, Zareev is is not crisoborol, right? It's a totally different PDE4 inhibitor molecule. The, the formulation doesn't include propylene glycol at all, whereas the other formulation with the crisoborol does, um, which may have led to some of the stinging and burning that we've experienced with that drug. And we just don't see with Zareev. Um, with v, with Vitama, we've got a novel and you know aryl hydrocarbon receptor agonist. Again, totally new mechanism of action, not seen in dermatology. Elegant formulation as well. Um, you know, perhaps people are a little bit wary because it's a novel for novel mechanism of action. I'm not sure, but but I, I I do think that the word needs to get out that we really need to consider as as a specialty to try and move away as much as we can from topical steroids. But I can see, what, what else would you like to say about that, David? Oh, uh, I'm just absolutely agreeing. And I would think that if someone's been in practice a long time, you know, steroids are their old friend, right? right. <laughs> They've used it successfully. Yeah, and changing prescribing habits is, is difficult. I, I'm very, very guilty of that in terms of trying to change my prescribing habits. You kind of you kind of lean into your old friend in terms of trying to get someone better quickly. Um, and then when you have something new, you've got to trust it, you know, because as, as yeah. physicians, as, as providers, we need to trust that what we are prescribing is going to work. And so with these novel compounds, you kind of have to gain that trust slowly over time. And maybe that's what we're seeing. It's just kind of that slow uptake in regards to the changing of the practice patterns and the, the trust that needs to, 
uh, be imbued in these products over time. If that is true, then you're, we're going to see a, a really rapid increase in uptake yeah. because, you know, you, you, especially with Zareev, you know, I, I just know Zareev. Uh, you try it on a handful of patients, uh, you're going to be really pleased with how those patients do. But it will take, you know, four to six months, maybe before you see them back, you know, yeah. before you have that follow-up. That's true. We're all busy. And, and so it hopefully will be a hockey stick for, for all of us non-steroidal folks in the, in the coming months. And, and we'll just see, you know, because it's all about patient care. What you, you want to do the best for your patients. I want my products to do the best for your patient. Um, we want all products that are doing the best for the patients. I think that's a great point to end on. So uh, everyone, this is the Skincare Confidential Podcast. I am Dr. Ted Lane. We have just had the wonderful experience of interviewing uh, Dr. David Osborne, uh, a formulator, currently the Chief Technical Officer with Arcutis. Uh, prior to that, has worked with Dow and others. Um, don't forget to uh, download our podcast. Please, please subscribe. Please share Skincare Confidential with your network as well. Um, we are getting great feedback from, from our listeners, and we certainly thank everyone for their support. Um, we're, we're doing this out of the goodness of our hearts, really. We just really enjoy it. Patty and I just enjoy this so, so much and speaking to great people like, like David here. So um, with that, I thank you and uh, stay tuned for more Skincare Confidential episodes coming every two weeks. Thank you.